1: and their essential love of justice. Hi, welcome to the Cud's for May 10th, 2020. Uh, Happy Mother's Day to all the mothers listening out there. And join me as always, welcome Catherine Smith.
3: Greetings from Atlanta.
1: And welcome Tim Shiflett.
0: Good evening, sir.
1: Oh, good to have y'all both. Um, nice sunny uh, May evening, if you will. About twenty minutes into the show, from Decision Desk, the UVA Center for Politics, Mister Miles Coleman's coming on the show. So I'll be glad to have him on. A colleague of Kyle Kondik, who was on the show uh, several weeks ago, but it'd be good to have another person from that incredible, uh, you know, political information service, if you will. And so we'll talk about all kind of races um, when he comes on. But until then, we're going to start off with some topics. And the first one we're going to talk about is how politicized in the last week, maybe two weeks, the wearing of a mask has become. It started out as a, a safety feature, and they talked about it, and it seemed like it was going to be. Some people would wear it, some people wouldn't Some people would have access to them Some wouldn't It wouldn't be a political thing Like I'm wearing one Because or more importantly Maybe I'm not going to wear one Because I'm not afraid You know, no fear if you will Like those t-shirts that were popular um, A good decade ago Uh, Tim, you told me That you've gone out, wear masks Different places Why is this such a political um piece of clothing or medical equipment if you will
0: well it wasn't uh i mean it's safety equipment i mean come come on folks i had to wear a mask for 30 years before i retired in the job i was on sometimes you have to wear them for safety reasons i don't know if people have heard this but there's a, a really bad virus going around right now that's very contagious. Uh, you know what? Trump's leading the charge on this, though. So you guys have seen him talking about it and the visuals of it and how it don't look good and how he's not going to do it. And we know uh, what's going on with Mike Pence today. uh uh, suddenly he's dropped out of sight. There's another one that's been out in public, no mask. So basically, people have tied this to Trump and to opening things back up and part of their resistant move, resistance move, uh, move. So not wearing the mask will be totally adapted by, I, I suppose, uh, the Trump crowd and their supporters. Um, the, the the on the on the map, with with few exceptions and, and y'all y'all have seen the map, the, the less likely places to adopt the face mask uh were areas that had voted for the president before and the more likely are the urban areas where you really, really have to wear the mask, and they just happen to also be the more democratic areas. Uh, so it's breaking down along partisan lines. And, folks, it really shouldn't, if you're listening to me, put your mask on if you go out in public. My goodness, do you just want to get this virus? And if you have it, do you just want to give it to someone else? Uh why does everything have to break down into a partisan divide? Wearing a face pass shouldn't. My soap, my yeah, soapbox really speech for the week. Yeah,
1: Yeah, science and medicine shouldn't be uh, broken down partisan lines. Tim, you alluded to that map. I want to get back to that map. But, Catherine, you know, Tim's right about there is a partisan divide in this, but the Trump campaign, you know, brag Parscale, they love coming up with products, and they have, you know, Make America Great Again, um, you know, COVID-19 <laughs> prevention mask. Can't you just, if you're a hardcore Trump partisan, can't you just wear one of those masks instead of no mask at all? You'd think so. You'd
3: think it would be, you know, something you'd want to wear. Um, I think there's, I think there's one other piece of this that um, Tim didn't mention that we didn't mention in our pre-show either is that <coughs> I think there's some people who feel like, well, if they're out with their friends who they're spending time with or their family who they're living with and they're not interacting with other people <coughs> then they're safe because <laughs> these are their... I mean, I get that feeling from... But I don't know. I, I think it's... um. Also, if it's young people, I think young people just think that it's not going to affect them. You know, we all knew. Mm-hmm. We, all, we all behaved in ways like that. <clears throat> well, maybe not all of us, but many of us behaved like in ways like that when we were young. Whether it was the way we drove yeah. or the things, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um,
0: yeah. So
3: I think there's a little bit of that, but... By now, you'd think everybody would understand. We have how many deaths <laughs> now? 76,000. Went you know, over 80 over, today. Oh, did it? And then, um, yeah. um, what, What? like 1.5 million cases? You'd think that by mm-hmm. now people would be like, oh, yeah, this is real. Um, but with this uh, counter, this misinformation coming out from the administration and from some of the conservative news sources like we've said before it's very confusing and if you're not you know if you're stuck at home with your family and you're cooking more than you were and you're keeping track of your children and trying to do your day's work and all those things it's hard to keep up with what's actually real you know some of it some people are just picking up what they see on facebook or on other social media, or they're not even, or they're not even paying that much attention at all because they're so busy teaching and doing all the things that they have to do now. So, I'm, I do think there's a. Don't get me wrong, I do think there's a partisan part of this, but I don't think that's all of it.
1: Yeah, I mean, Catherine, you know. you're right about teenagers and you know, like anybody that's in high school and college. I mean, that's what. I guess high schoolers and college students are supposed to do. They're supposed to be reckless, and and that's just the deal. I'm talking about people that are older that seemingly should know better. Now, one aspect of this, talking about, you know, the news cycle and what have you, is, you know, we have the 24-hour news cycle, and everything moves so fast. And our attention spans um, have become accustomed to things moving so fast. And this is not a 24-hour story. This is seemingly a 24-week story, um, hopefully it won't be a 24-month story, but, you know, all bets are off. I mean this is a long thing, so it may be where the death toll keeps it, but people have become numb just because it's gone on so long. Well, that's not the new news story anymore. What do you
0: think, Tim? Well, you know, uh, I-, I can see, you know, what Catherine said with, with- – people i guess get it confused you know, i don't get confused though <laughs> i mean i mean there are actually <laughs> people who think this is a hoax there are actually people and you know trump and them have talked this up too we saw the stories this week that that somebody maybe the news media is overblowing the numbers. Or that some of the states, like New York State, is saying uh, more people died than really have, and stuff like that. And and it's, it it, it the, the, it's this alternate reality again that that they've created. That <laughs> if that if reality doesn't agree with what you believe or what you want to do, well, hey, you can turn to this alternate reality where you know, you can find what you want, but that virus just doesn't care. I tell you, these people will believe, all of them will believe when it hits their own houses. The problem is it'll be too late then, and those that don't believe, that don't take precautions, on average, are going to go out and give it to 10 other people, innocent people, uh, who had nothing to do with it. So, you know, uh, good luck to these folks, but I I just wish they wouldn't involve others in it. And I got news for people, this (laughs) this thing's going to be around a long time, and it's going to have periods where it's going to get a little better, and it's going to have periods where it's going to get a lot worse. And I'm telling you, right now, it's still getting worse. All you've got to do is look Mm -hmm. at the numbers every day. And I'm afraid as things open up, it's going to continue to get worse. Um, But not wearing a mask? I'll tell you what you could do with Trump right now. You could go to him and say, uh, you know, Mr. Trump, uh, we could sell these masks. For, you know, a, a couple of dollars a piece, Make America a great mess. We could make millions with them. Trump could model one of them, I guarantee you every, everybody supports him be wearing one the very next day if they could get their hands on it. This starts at the top. This very partisan, hyper-partisan stuff starts at the top. He he could make this nonpartisan, but he just won't do it because it's not good for Donald Trump. So Yeah. I don't have a national division. Except getting rid of Donald Trump. <laughs> yeah, but then
1: unfortunately that's a several month proposition is a fix. Um well yep. let's kind of get back at Tim, you mentioned that map. And that map you're right about most of the states were you know, on that map that were purple meant that you were more open to wearing a mask, and a lot of those states were um, you know, Democratic-leaning states. And then the ones that were really right. red, a lot of those were more Republican states. There were a few exceptions. The a state few. of Georgia was a light lavender, not a red. It was, it was more no. likely to wear a mask than no. average, and the state of Minnesota was a deep red in
0: well. that map. Well, um, Catherine can tell you why because she lives in the middle of one of the main reasons
1: why. Well, tell one me one of the very funny. largest
0: metro areas in the nation. Yeah.
1: Well, Catherine, I mean, I, I, I think I have all the reasons too. Catherine, what do you think? Well, I
3: don't see a lot of people wearing masks. Now, I don't go out. I, have, I haven't. I don't go to the grocery store. I have my groceries delivered. And I haven't been in except a, like, convenience store to buy gas since, you know, in eight weeks. But I hear reports from people who go to the grocery store that, you know, like, 20 to 30 percent of the people are wearing masks. They're not abiding by um, social distancing in the grocery store. Um, Some stores are better about enforcing those rules. Than others, um, I guess Trader Joe's is really good. They only let a few people in the store at a time, and they have the floors marked, and they're very, um, um, I, w- I don't want to say aggressive, but they're very assertive about it. And um, Walmart is terrible. Like, nobody gives it, you know, nobody cares. Nobody gives it. But at least that's what I, I've heard. Um, and then outside... Uh, the belt line was just you know packed with people a couple weeks ago, and finally, I think the mayor shut it down for certain hours. Um, the problem is you know we were talking earlier we were talking earlier about um why isn 't anyone arresting or enforcing these it takes a lot of uh, manpower to enforce like social distancing and um mask wearing and that kind of thing it's you know what are you going to have a cop cop going into every grocery store and saying you're you know know, you're not staying far enough away i mean i i I think it's a lot to ask of our um first responders who are already busy and also um in the high risk category and a lot of them are coming down with the virus so it's a very there's a lot of things converging to make this really difficult and then when you add in people who just you know refuse to abide by a few simple rules i mean we all wear shoes and shirts into a grocery store why what what's like why can't you just wear a mask like what's the you don't see people screaming about oh i shouldn't have to wear shoes
1: yeah, and I saw now here's a, I saw those comparisons. I was just, and I'll, well, I want to. I'll take.
0: Go ahead, Tim. And I. Yeah. – I was just going to add one thing to what Catherine w- was saying. The things you described, Catherine, it's about three to four times worse up here where I live. Now, <laughs> imagine that three to four times worse.
1: Yeah, now talking about the shoes and the shirts, I think you're absolutely right because people are like, it's my constitutional right not to wear a mask. And Bull said, well, you know, what about shoes and shirts? And they're absolutely right. But here's the thing. If you look at a lot of folks, and particularly conservative Republican-leading folks, they like the status quo. What was done 50 years ago is what should be done 50 years from now. And wearing shoes and and shirts is normal to them, and it's what people were doing, so it's what people should do now, and it's what people should do in the future. Wearing a mask is new and different, and new and different scares those folks. Whether it's to prevent a disease or just a fashion trend, it's different, mm. and they don't
0: really do well with really? different. Really, and I think that's that part of the idea. Of- now, that reminds me of the minister one time who told me that people should look like Christians. Let, let's wrap our heads around that for just a minute, <laughs> shall we? I mean, yeah. you, you know, what? What? How? How is it a violation of someone's constitutional rights? If we ask them not to threaten the public safety by doing something as simple as following the guidelines of scientific and medical to prevent thousands of innocent people from dying of this virus, how is that a violation of a person's constitutional rights?
1: Hey, Tim, I, I bet I know that guy. He said, "Don't wear any weird robes, and you shouldn't have a beard, and you shouldn't have long brown hair." Next yep. thing you know, well, you think
0: you just walk on water what, if you dress like that. Yeah. What, you start he, meant, like what he meant? What he <laughs> meant? was what these people mean now. That uh, he he meant that everybody should look like he looks. That's what he meant. Oh, right. or, and these people think like that everybody should, should act like they act. The therefore, it's normal.
1: Yeah. Um, well, let's okay. We talked about the map. Let's get now to the violence part of this. This is what's so scary is in Oklahoma City. They had a uh, you know in a McDonald's. They closed down the um, seating area, and people got mad and um, you know shot three people because they couldn't sit in the McDonald's. I mean, I don't know if you've ever been to McDonald's, but there's nothing that special to sit at. After you get your McGangbang and your sweet tea for like three total dollars, just take that crap home. It's not it, it, sitting in the McDonald Playland is no great shakes. But who knows? And um, and so, but then and then of course, uh, you know people in Flint, Michigan went into a Family Dollar. They were told they had to wear a mask. And you know Flint, Michigan's not known for its health. You know, it's a pretty unhealthy city because of the water. You know, you don't know. If, fault to the people that live there. It's just their water system's not good, so it's led to health problems. They said, look, you've got to wear a, a mask. A security guard got shot over that, and people have gotten very angry at this. Costco, they make you wear a mask, and people have boycotted uh. Costco, and Costco started saying, well, look, there's your membership money back. We don't want you because we have rules. Um, we'll get back to this discussion, or maybe Costco. even...
3: Let me just say that
1: that, that, was, twi- that Twitter thing that wasn't the real Costco account. I'm just FYI. Yeah, well, I don't know I mean what they said after, but anyway, you know that that's uh, but you know there were rules at Costco, and people got mad about Costco having rules, and so it's real hot button. But right now, we want to uh, welcome into the Cuddeback for the first time from Decision Desk and University of Virginia Center for Politics, Mr. J. Miles Coleman. Welcome, Miles. No, oh, sir. Sure. Thank you for having me. Oh, good to have you on. Well, um, <laughs> we've had one of your colleagues, Kyle Kondik, on a few weeks ago, and mm-hmm. so grateful to have you on. So, kind of just right off, tell us about your background in politics and anything else you want to share. Yes, just to share.
2: So, uh, I just. Uh, started at the University of Virginia Center for Politics, uh, probably last August or September, so probably about eight months or so at that, that that's the point, uh, but before this, I was pretty active with kind of, as you said, uh, uh, Decision Desk, desk HQ, uh, I've been active with them for maybe since 2014, uh, so, uh, but, yeah, I'm uh, pretty active on Twitter. As you can see, uh, I tell people, like, uh, election nights are kind of like my Christmas. That's, uh, <laughs> that's <laughs> what I really like. To, uh, You're among that's you. what I'm always looking forward to. So, uh, so yeah, so uh, basically, as I'm sure you know, what we do at the Crystal Ball is we uh, – we track a lot of these key races across the country. We write, write, write about that. Uh, I'm kind of known as a political mapper. Uh, that's that's, uh, that's uh, honestly one one of the reasons why I got my job. Uh, but no, we uh, we uh, we have we have a pretty good time uh, uh, tracking all these races and writing about that. That that end, so, uh, so it's great to be there.
1: Yes, well, that's great. And, and we I've found Decision Desk recently and signed up for an account because during um, some of the special elections recently, I mean, y'all have the fastest data out there. Um, oh, yeah. You know, a lot of these um, smaller races that are special elections. I guess I'll have to check in Tuesday, for instance. Um, but yeah, I, yeah. we're all going to um, ask you some different uh, questions. About different races Um, And I want to start off with the state of Iowa Iowa is a state Mm. that um, Used to elect folks like Tom Harkin Barack Obama Kind of got his start there if you will On the presidential Mm. race And then it turned Republican And seemingly it's kind of purple again There was a poll that came out Joni Ernst is in trouble Or at least in a a race if you will And then the Mm. um, electoral votes For that state in the presidential race don't look completely locked in. Kinda of what's your take on both of those races? Yeah, so uh I was a bit
2: interested in that sort of as you said, uh Joni Ernst was looking in a pretty uh in a pretty good position to start out with, with uh we still uh at the crystals of the thobal we still have her race as these rough public so sort of compa sensitive but uh definitely not uh, definitely not off the table for the Democrats I know there was a i think it was uh public policy polling that had uh earned up uh, only about one point I think that was about a week ago uh, but uh something to keep in mind there is uh the the primary which i think is scheduled for june 2nd on the democratic society uh, it's still sort of in flux to an extent i know uh most of the uh most of the national democrats have lined up behind theresa greenfield who has uh fundraised pretty well uh but in the primary i'm interested to see how well uh her or uh one of her opponents michael franken does he uh I noticed uh, just the other day he got the endorsement of the Dumb Red Register, uh, which may help him, uh, although I still have to, I think, uh, I have the think Teresa Greenfield's in the in the drive, the drive driver's seat, at least when it comes to the primary. Uh, but what makes Iowa overall sort of a, uh, sort of a, tougher flip for Democrats is uh, just demographically it's fairly white uh, it has a decent rural population, uh, those are just groups at the national level uh, that have uh, that have tended to favor uh, Republicans, especially in the Trump era, uh, but we definitely don't see it as uh, off the table by a Any means though
1: Yes, now Like in the Ernst race you mentioned The public policy polling poll that came Out showed Mm at a one point race If you started to see um, You know four and five More polls that kind of show it within The margin of error Does it then change to toss up from Leans Republican or what do you have to see to maybe um, Change the category Yeah
2: it's it's, uh, Typically What Kind of just what my personal criteria is you know maybe if you uh, if the race is close within a few uh public polls uh we usually look at the uh we usually look at the fundraising as as well uh, something in this specific uh instance that I noticed was uh the Senate majority, path which is run by uh, uh, the Senate Democrats, uh, were spending some money there on uh, Greenfield already. So uh, I kind of took that as an indication of, okay, well, are they are they spending there for Greenfield just to kind of get her past the primary? Uh, so you know, it's. Usually, my criteria are yeah, maybe a few more public polls where the the, the race is pretty close. Uh, one of the uh, probably one of the most frustrating things this cycle is just there's been a general lack of good public polling in a lot of the, 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 the these uh, in a lot of these key races, which uh, makes our job a bit harder. <laughs>
1: Yes. Well, I want to move further south, still in the middle part of the country, um, to the state of Texas. Now, you can feel free to discuss the presidential part of this, but I want to ask about the Senate race. Uh, John Cornyn, probably not nearly as high profile as Ted Cruz, running for reelection, and or O'Rourke might uh, jump into the race, did not. There's still two Democrats that look pretty strong uh, – you know, mm-hmm. vying for that nomination. MJ Henniger, who ran for House, who has a really good backstory, Iraq War veteran, um, campaigns in a pretty, um, you know, and a good attention getting way. And then the mm-hmm. um, ex state Senate president for the Democrats, um, Royce West, he's good, also yes. running. So I guess first after the primary, if you know about the primary, great. And then kind of either way, what are the chances of that nominee? Um, you know, defeating John Cornyn. Yes. So
2: uh that race is a little interesting because uh I was looking at uh some of the polling from the primary. Uh Hager looks like she's in the lead, although there are a decent amount of undecided. Uh, what's interesting is uh Hager is kind of struggling with minority vote voters, which would make sense considering Royce West is uh, he's African-American, uh, but what was interesting in 2018, even though Beto O'Rourke came pretty close uh, he really struggled with turning out African-Americans and, and Hispanics so I kind of wonder, okay, well, in a presidential year where we see higher time, uh anyway, uh, even if Hager doesn't do well uh, with those groups in the primary, well, she could maybe do better than O'Rourke with them in the general uh, election. So that's a dynamic I'm sort of uh, interested in watching. Interesting. I think the primary there is until – Or uh, the runoff there is until June 14th, around then. Uh, But in terms of the general election, uh, Texas is, is of course, a state that the Democrats have been trying to turn purple or blue for a while.
0: Um, Again, it may
2: get there, there, at least at the presidential level. Uh, most polls I've seen out of Texas at the presidential level have Trump and Biden within a few points of each other, which would be uh, which would be interesting because Texas is. Uh, we've seen that really Trump isn't the best fit for Texas. It was one of the, it was one of only about a dozen states where he did worse than Mitt Romney. Uh, a lot of the That has been uh, driven by sort of, as you would suspect, uh, wealthier voters in places like the Dallas or Houston suburbs, uh, although at this point, even if Democrats get close at the presidential level, uh, it looks like in the Senate race, John Cornyn, in terms of – in terms of resources, fundraising, name recognition, um, is pretty far ahead at this point. So it almost uh, it almost reminds me of um, I could see it maybe ending up like uh, in in 2016. For this example, uh, the state of Georgia was pretty close at the presidential level. It was within a few points, uh, but at that time, uh, Republican Senator Johnny Isakson was reelected by about 15 points just because, uh, you know, he had more, uh, he was better funded. He sort of had weak opposes. And so in the extreme, I could see that, uh, I could definitely see John Cornyn running ahead of Trump. uh, And I think... I think what that really shows is even though some of these sunbelt states are moving uh, maybe a bit more purple or blue at the presidential level, uh, the onus is really on the Democratic Party to uh, run good candidates in some of these uh, down-ballot races as well Uh, just because the state votes one way for Says, uh, then it doesn't automatically mean it's going to vote that way for every other race. Yeah, um, well,
1: that's really interesting. Yeah. One more little side thing about Texas um, mm-hmm. was uh, Attorney General Kim Paxton has been very aggressive about his opposition to mail-in voting and mm-hmm. wanting to really restrict it. Um, if he's successful – or if they just kind of open things up and, and people can vote mail-in just because they say that it's just not safe to go to polling places, how much of mm-hmm. a play would that uh, change Texas?
2: Uh, yeah, well, I think uh, this whole thing with uh, with mail-in vote voting is uh, pretty uh, – it's sort of an unknown as as you know it's probably uh regardless of how long this virus sort of lingers around uh i think that when it comes to the fall elections there are going to be a lot of voters who uh explore their options when it comes to mail in voting in uh some of these rare, rare, rare races and it is uh i think uh Texas isn't a particularly big mail in state uh there are, are uh there are some states like north carolina uh, something like two thirds of the vote there in presidential elections is cast uh, either uh, early uh, whether the bad that be uh early voting or after by mail uh, but Texas really isn't one one of these big uh apps vote by man man mail, mail states so it uh uh it's sort of unknown I don't know how uh I don't know how that would play in Texas this but uh it would be uh what's interesting to me is a uh, just generally speaking, uh, one of the reasons that Trump was able to win in 2016 was uh, he got, uh, he got vote voters who don't frequently turn out in a lot of these swing states uh, – to come out and vote for him uh, These weren't the normal Republican voters These were Trump voters So it would uh, To me it would seem okay well Maybe at some level Trump with the Republicans Would rather hire t- turnout. so I don't know uh, If restricting the Access of votes By mail would really uh, Would really uh, Help that to think uh maybe a perfect example of mailing the vote voting uh, not uh, maybe not necessarily automatically being favorable to Democrats uh right now there's a special election going on in California uh, for uh for the House to say they uh, which is uh, basically all mail in state uh the Republicans have done a badger job of turning in their mail in ballot so uh i think it uh it may be one of those things where if the republicans try to restrict it it may not turn out how that they uh how they uh how they may plan
1: yes well that's some really good insight and uh, interesting to think about. I'm going to pass this over to Catherine and she's going to pass it to Kim for some more questions. Catherine?
3: Hey, thanks for being on with us tonight. We really appreciate it. Sure, sure. Great sure. insight. Um, I'd like to ask you about, um, surprisingly, <laughs> about Oklahoma. It looks like the Senate race in their race in Oklahoma is uh, something that might be actually in play, which is somewhat of a surprise. Uh, Jim Inhofe now has a um young uh apparently well known um democrat op- democrat um opposition and i just wondered if you've had a chance to look at oklahoma and if you have any thoughts about it
2: yes, yes. so uh yes uh i do know that uh anhoff got a pretty attractive uh Challenge from a uh, Abby Broyles uh, I didn't, knew that. Uh, I think she maybe used to be a TV personality out uh, there. Yeah, uh, and it's definitely, uh, it's definitely one of those cases where uh, Inhofe, uh, going into the election, a lot of people uh, expected him to maybe retire. He's eighty-five. Uh, so it's wow. like I can definitely see it where uh, – I can definitely see it being one of those cases where Enhoff, as uh, someone his age, may be a bit rusty on the campaign trail, not saying he is, uh, but I can definitely see uh, that being a state where uh, assuming b- – b- b- is a Democratic nominee, uh, she could probably run decently ahead of whatever Joe Biden get, gets in the other state uh, just because, okay, well, it's, it's. Uh, I think in 2016, Trump won Oklahoma by something like 30 points. Uh, so it's a pretty red state, uh, which, you know, just the, just the partisanship of the state alone the, the, the makes it pretty securely republican uh for our purpose as that, that says uh but I can see uh I can see Beryl's running decently ahead of the democratic ticket just uh just from her strength of the candidate and uh sort of just the nature of her opposition uh what would uh it would even though it's not uh one of the top senate contests uh per se, uh when it comes to the house uh, race is the uh the only competitive race there is the uh, 5th congressional district which is based out of Oklahoma City uh i know that that uh Kendra uh, Horn is probably going to be in a close race as well. So, uh, the fact that the Democrats are making a pretty serious effort when it comes to the Senate race, uh, that could help pour further down the
1: ballot as well.
3: Oh, that's really interesting. Well, thank you very much. I'm passing it to Tim now. Tim? <laughs> sure.
0: um, Good evening, sir. Thank you for being with you. us tonight. Uh, Let's go way up to the great state of Montana for a minute Uh, When uh, Governor Bullock entered the Senate race It was felt that the Democrats had a candidate Who could really give Senator Daines a run for his money And maybe flip the seat But at the same time we're talking about a state that Donald Trump, if memory serves correct, won by like twenty and a half points. Yep. So, mm-hmm. is flipping that seat uh, uh, really a realistic hope?
2: Yeah. Uh, well, 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 well. Uh, um, actually, we did an article at the Crystal Ball. Maybe, uh, maybe. It's- few weeks uh, where uh we were talking and about okay, well if the if the Democrats want to get to a Senate majority overall, there are what we call these uh these uh core four states uh that they would mm-hmm. have to that they would have to uh, flip and we identified them as uh, Arizona, Colorado, Maine and North Line. And if you look at our ratings now, uh, we have I think two of those rated as leans Democratic, and two of them are rated as toss ups. So mm-hmm. uh, the Democrats are basically uh, at even money or better to flip those four so, seats. If there was one contest outside of those four. Uh, that I would probably peg as the Democrats' best chance to flip out of that seat, uh, I would say Montana. And I would say that for a few reasons. And, uh, first, uh, that deval uh, basically, since, this, uh, since the coronavirus has sort of become a national pandemic, uh, politically, the biggest benefit Fisheries have been the gov of owners uh basis uh, basically the uh the poster child for that is pretty much Andrew Cuomo, uh you know uh before this whole thing uh kind of came to a head he wasn't especially popular on uh, now every day he's on TV. His uh, approvals have gone uh, have gone way up, and it helps that the Democrats in that Montana race uh, they happen to be running the governor of the best at that date, who's uh, pretty popular as well. Uh, I know there was uh, in this last week there was a poll out from uh, Montana State University today. And it had uh, Governor Bo Bollock up, I think, something like 46 to the third to 39 um, over Republican Senator Steve Daines. And I did notice if you looked at uh, what their approval ratings were, uh, Bo Boak had something like a 70% approval rating as a Democrat in Montana. Uh, if you look at what Senator Daines is approve of were his were made, I think he was around like 48% or something like that but I think uh the fact that the Democrats are running a governor in that race helps us that um uh, maybe another thing that helps the Democrats in Montana as well is uh in these um uh, in these Smaller states, it's easier for candidates to work on a retail type of basis. Uh, mm-hmm. What I mean by that, that in uh, in a lot of these larger states, like uh, Texas, for example, tends to be uh, tends to be more expensive. Uh, it's harder to get your name out there. And it just, with a lot of these larger guys, they tend to vote more like uh, how they vote at the presidential level regardless. Uh, With a state like Montana, it would be easier for, even though it's a red state, uh, for a Democrat like Steve Bullock. it's pretty, uh, the fact that it's... uh, smaller state he probably knows most of his voters on a first name debt that so that they are probably more uh willing to vote for him. Uh I mean a perfect sort of uh, example of that dynamic is if uh you know thinking back just to the twenty eighteen midterm elections, uh some of the dem- Democrats that most outperformed uh, what Hillary Clinton got were the ones like uh, Joe Manchin, Heidi Heitkamp. Uh, these Democrats that are from smaller states. And uh, maybe another uh, another interesting quirk about Montana is. Uh, even though it's Republican at the uh at the presidential level, uh it tends to favor uh Democrats in a lot of these Senate races uh as well. I mean a perfect uh, a perfect example of that is uh basically uh since the seventeenth amendment established the direct election of sex Senators, starting with I think the 1914 election, <laughs> and uh, Steve Daines was the first Republican Montana ever elected to that that that, that seat. Uh, so, uh, wow. basically, before Steve Daines came along in 2014, uh, that seat was in Democratic hands for 100 years. Uh, so, wow. Montana's have, <laughs> have been willing to make these. Uh, willing to make these distinctions between the presidential and senatorial races, as it says, uh, but at the crystal ball, we're still keeping it as leans Republican, uh, just because there are a few sort of, uh, a few sort of factors that still help, uh, Senator Danes, And, uh, one of those is, okay, well, uh, governors across the country like uh governor uh they've gotten a boost to their approval ratings which has helped them in some of these uh some of these races but how long is that going to last we really don't know and just sort of what i was alluding to earlier yes they've uh Montanans have split their tickets in a lot of these Senate race races, uh, but you know, are they still willing to, to do that, that? I mean, a perfect uh, a perfect example was uh, in uh, in 2016, basically uh, every state that had a Senate election in. 2016 voted the exact same way for president and Senate. That was the first time in history uh, that that's happened, and that really speaks to uh, really how polarized we've become as a nation. So uh, Mm. we sort of see it as, yeah, the Democrats probably got their best possible candidate uh but uh at the end of the day it's still uh it's still a rough rep- republican state and uh he's gonna need to, to get a lot of uh crossover support from trump vote voters uh i mean not mm-hmm. to say uh, not to say it can't be done because you know, thinking back to the twenty eighteen midterms uh i think Trump kind of threw everything he had at John Tester, but Tester still held on. So uh, Mm -hmm. it it can be done, but it may be one of those races where, okay, well, maybe uh, before moving into a toss-up, we would maybe need to uh, see uh, a few
0: more polls or something like that. Okay. I want to ask you one more question, then I'm going to throw it back to David to close the segment out. And that's about, uh, on your electoral map, I noticed that you've got the second congressional district in Nebraska as a toss-up. And I do know that Barack Obama won it in 2008. He was the first Democrat, I think, since Lyndon Johnson to even win an electoral vote in that state. Does uh, that district continue to trend left, and can Joe Biden win that district this year?
2: yeah uh it's 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 uh interesting because uh even in these states like nebraska where we may think of as maybe not the most politically interesting state uh you you still see that these uh uh this sort of urban, urban uh rural divide sort of take uh And, uh, the second district of Nebraska is a pretty, uh, urban been congressional district. It's basically most of, uh, Omaha. Mm -hmm. Uh, it, it, uh, as you said, the, ever since Obama carried it in, in 2008, it's been very close, but Republican leaning, I think, uh, Obama won it by, like, a point Uh, Mm -hmm. when it came to 2012. I think it went to Romney by about six. Uh, In 2016, I think it was uh, something like Trump plus three or four. Uh, So the margins have been getting somewhat closer for Democrats there in recent recent cycles. I did, I, uh, at the Crystal Ball, I did an article call, uh, back earlier this year where I looked at how, uh, how, uh, Maine and Nebraska's, uh, split their electoral votes and how, uh, how they've gone in some recent statewide races. Uh, what I thought was interesting was, uh, in the 2018 elections, uh, Republican Governor Pete Ricketts uh, won overall by about twenty points, uh, but he would have not carried the second congressional district. So I think uh, it definitely mm. um, it definitely can be won by the, the, the Democrats, uh, but for me it's almost a question of okay, well if I'm uh, if I'm the Biden campaign, uh, do I want to focus on some of these larger electoral prizes, like maybe Wisconsin or Pennsylvania or in Arizona, uh, as opposed to just chasing one electoral vote in Nebraska? So it almost uh, mm-hmm. it almost comes down to a question of okay, well, uh, it. It can probably be won, uh, but do the, the Democrats want to uh, contest it there as opposed to looking to some of these uh, some of these larger I guess, states, which could have a bigger, uh, maybe, electoral
0: payoff? Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. And with that, I'm going to pass it back to David. David? Well, Miles, we thank you for
1: coming on the show tonight. Great insight to all
0: these races across the country.
1: But before you leave, tell our listeners where they can read you. You mentioned Twitter, but any place that folks can read your work?
2: Yeah, uh, it's it's uh, my uh, my uh, handle on Twitter is uh, at j miles coleman uh, at at uh crystal ball uh if you just uh, google the, that it should uh pretty much be the, the, the first result that comes up uh we have at least uh we have at least something that comes out every Thursday. today uh occasionally we'll have uh more than um more than one piece. This is this a week, uh, but at the very minimum at the crystal, ball, uh, if your uh if your listeners wanna go over there and uh, sign up for free, uh they'll have our work uh basically uh every week. <laughs> mm. Yes.
1: Well, I'm a subscriber and it's been a while and I'm a big fan of the three of y'all's work um as well. But thanks again, Miles, for coming on the show. No problem. Thanks for having me. Thank,
0: thank you. you, sir.
1: Great. All right. Yes. J right, Miles Coleman. uh deci- yes, Decision Desk, Center for Politics and uh Crystal Ball. Well guys, we uh stayed all on the uh west of the Mississippi this evening with mile, so for our final topic Let's stay west of the Mississippi and uh, talk about South Dakota. Um, I'm kind of always intrigued at these situations where um, Native American nations and um, government entities, if you will, get into conflicts or there's issues because you know Native American peoples, You know, I don't think anybody can say they've been treated well throughout American history. As an understatement. And uh, this past week, something's bowled over, and it's still, it's like one of the top uh, stories right now on the Argus Leader. uh, More information than what I've sent y'all. A Sioux Nation tribe is doing um, wellness checks, if you will. They have checkpoints on the road trying to find out where you've been, if you've been at a hot spot, what your business is going on tribal land. And if you're just kind of passing through and you've been to somewhere where you might be unsafe, They really don't want you there because I think they're seeing that Native American peoples may be a little more susceptible to this disease because of immunities. And if we look back at our history, um, that shouldn't come as a shock. Uh, But the South Dakota governor, Kristen Nome she is not happy. Uh, She's actually going to take the tribe to court over these checkpoints. Um, Tim, what's your thoughts
0: on this? what's wrong with that woman?
1: <laughs> you know, I
0: thought that <laughs> a, a few weeks ago to start with, with the situation, you know, with the, um, um, big plant up there in South Dakota, where like a, a third of the cases in the state were coming from. Okay. Let's close the plant right. No, she has a running duck bit about that. Uh, but, uh, why, why, why do this, something like this? Well, it, it sounds to me like they're performing a, a great public service. Why, why pull a stunt like this? She's one that has resisted doing anything like this, uh, like uh, getting out of the bounds of what she considers normal in any way, shape, or form. Uh, so, during this pandemic, uh, you know our, our Previous guests mentioned a, a lot of governors uh, performing admirably. Uh, I, I'm afraid to say that she's not one of them. Don't you think, Catherine?
3: Yes, this is it's it's terrible. Um, uh, you're absolutely right, Tim. These uh, reservations, there's two of them actually, are doing a, a public service, and mm-hmm. they have a lot to protect. They, um, you know, they they have very little. Their health care is sparse and not um very um good, so it's there's not much of it, and what they have is not very good um, mm-hmm. and somebody got I had a little fit this week because someone gave them some money. who was it that gave them money anyway um, so they're protecting themselves like like a reservation obligation is right that's their obligation those um chiefs and or whatever they're called um so i I just don't understand why she's wasting her time she's got plenty of other things to worry about than uh whether they're doing um checks on the highway through the reservation and I, i mean i don't know and i'm not a lawyer so i don't know how this would go in court but it seems like it shouldn't go her way in court, but, you know,
0: you say that a lot, and <laughs> it doesn't
1: happen. So. Yeah, <laughs> yeah um, I don't know that most people know this, but South Dakota is the state um, with the largest uh, percentage of Native Americans making up the state population. I mean, there may be states with more total people that are Native American, but it's the, the largest uh, percentage-wise of a state because, you know, South Dakota is not a very populated state. I've actually driven from Sioux Falls all the way across to Rapid City, then got back on the road and went um, uh, Devils Tower in Washington State, or I'm sorry, uh, Wyoming, across the state line. So I've driven across that entire state. I can tell you firsthand, and this is in summer, which is probably a little bit busier. There ain't a lot of traffic on South Dakota roads, and I don't think this interstate would even be one of the ones affected. I don't remember going through tribal land where they had a sign, you know, now you're entering, you know, the Sioux Nation or what have you. And so this would be even less busy than that road was. Um, it's probably not stopping people uh, to, to, you know, hold them up that long. It's, and it, once again, it's for safety. It kind of fits in with the math. It, it might be a slight, tiny inconvenience to keep people safe but folks like Kristen Nome and maybe some of her hardcore supporters, that's a bad thing. If it's any iota of an inconvenience, they don't want it. Is that Tim? Do you kind of see the strand between the
0: two I see beginning that, uh, and ending pockets here? Yeah, yeah. That that's that's the way she she is always operated too. I mean, just just like that. Like like I said, the example of the uh, a big meat processing plant up there that you know the pork processing plant where all of those cases are so the, the obvious thing to do is shut it down right no not according to her she just had a running duck bit about it so uh,
1: and, and the plan up there smithfield they actually wanted to close right, I mean, right. The business did. the people that are going to be out the money are saying we need to close
0: um
1: That's the problem. Like here in Gainesville, um, there's been a big outbreak. There's a lot of chicken plants. Um, And we're starting to see problems with supply chain. I read that Wendy's, one in four Wendy's, is out of ground beef. Um, And then they're also having other issues at Wendy's with the supply chain. I believe, based on a a drive-thru I went to, may have been lettuce. And so that goes back in, Catherine, to the economy. If people can't get the products to sell – Whether or not you say open for business or not, you can't do business, can you?
3: Right. Oh yeah.
1: Yeah. So I mean, you know, it's kind
3: of. Go ahead, Catherine. If we open too early, then we're going to be closed longer in the future. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like we should just stay closed longer, so that when we do open, we're ready to be open. And uh, and we can not be worried about what's coming next. But everyone's worried about, you know, I, I mean, in Georgia, I think we're all worried about what's going to happen in about two weeks.
1: Yeah, I mean, and we'll see. Yeah. We'll be the guinea pigs.
0: Tim? I was just going to say, at some point, everybody's got to sit down and just ask the question, how, how much is a human life worth in this country? Right.
1: Yeah, and it's also, once again, what's essential. I saw a picture. I think I sent it to y'all of TJ Maxx that it looked like they were having a going-out-of-business yeah. sale. there, so many people. Uh, there's probably nothing you absolutely need at a TJ Maxx um, at this very moment. If you did, you could wear a mask, which, I mean, like maybe three or four people in the picture were. Out of the 40 pictured, it was about 10% or less, mm-hmm. and so – um, there's just some things to do. I mean, people can do business because obviously grocery stores <laughs> they're doing business um no doubt about it um there there's other things they're doing business um it just has to be done a certain way and on a certain time frame well, once again, right. thanks to j. miles Coleman and, and until next week, that's been the coby vine.
3: Thanks everybody. good night, everybody. Have guys
1: day. Good night, everybody.